You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. You have your Bibles, I want you to take them and go ahead and be turning to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll eventually get out of chapter 1. But uh, Ephesians chapter 1 is filled with so much. And I don't know why my pages are sticking together. But it is filled with so much that it takes time to go through them and to understand them. Ephesians chapter 1 will be in verses 13 and 14. And let's just pick up at verse 11. First, I mean, the first chapter of Ephesians, beginning at verse 11, in him. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan who works, the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And in verse 12, Paul's talking about himself. He's talking about those Jews. And in verse 13, he begins to wrap his arms around the Gentiles who had come to Christ. And this is where we're focusing today. And you also, now he's talking to those believers there in Ephesus. And you also were included in Christ. When, and I want you to circle that in your Bible, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance unto the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray, dear Lord, for the power of Your Holy Spirit to enable us, dear Lord, as we venture through this passage. And dear Lord, we give You all the glory. We ask You, dear Lord, to cleanse us. Dear Lord, cleanse me if there be anything. Let me be a vessel that You can use, Lord. And may the people who listen today listen very closely. Dear Lord, these are truths that can change our lives if we will but hear them. And we'll give you the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I, like I told you the last couple of weeks, I've kind of had a little bit of asthma and I've had to keep a bottle of water up here so y'all forgive me. And if you get to coughing, you can come up here and catch whatever I've got and have a drink as well. Dr. Lamar Cooper who is the senior professor of Old Testament and archaeology at Criswell College, made this statement. He said, I am sometimes asked, are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? My answer, and let me say this, his answer is an historic Southern Baptist answer, I can guarantee it. He said, my answer is that I am neither. I am a Baptist and a Christian and not in that order. 
Baptists and Anabaptists, forerunners, have always looked to the Scripture rather than to councils to formulate their biblical theology. Now that's, that's critical as we're looking at this first chapter because we've been looking at this series called The Great Divide and the difference between a Calvinist and an Arminian and perhaps trying to understand Baptists where we are and who we are and, and how we relate in this theological polarizing argument that sometimes has taken place in the church. I was listening to R.C. Sproul this week and I had the opportunity to sit in or to be a part of two doctoral seminars when I was working on my doctorate and I would listen to R.C. Sproul seven and a half hours every single day. A tremendous teacher and a man that I love um, and have a great deal of respect for. But R.C. Sproul made this statement this week. He said, we like systems, computer systems, electrical systems. He said, we like systems and it's hard not to gravitate toward some kind of theological system. But he made that statement, we like systems. But as I thought about that, I thought about Southern Baptists and some of the leadership that historically has always warned us as a denomination, there is a danger when those systems begin to take on the authority of Scripture and the men who formulate those systems begin to become our Lord. Now you may say, well, Brother Jeff, why are you continuing on this thought? It's because in our denomination right now, there's great theological differences and there's polarizing and it's causing problems within our denomination. I went on to write this down. Historically, that has been the strength of Southern Baptists and more so the reason that I believe that God has blessed us as a denomination. Hobbes, Herschel Hobbes, made this statement. He said, the danger of theological systems are that they may cloud proper exegesis of the Word of God. And this is a man who had a PhD and who studied under A.T. Robertson, the, probably one of the leading, um, leading men in the, in the area of the New Testament Greek. But he made that statement, Herschel Hobbes said, the danger of theological systems, whether we be a Calvinist or an Arminian or whatever theological system we hold to, somebody's getting a call, whatever theological system we hold to, that it will somehow affect how we exegete the Scripture. So I thought about that and I thought, well, you know, I'll test that. I'll test that. And so I called a seminary professor, a friend of mine, who also has a PhD, and I made that statement. I said, you know, Herschel Hobbes said that if we hold to a theological system, that it can affect proper exegeting of the Word of God. And I was trying to challenge this seminary professor to join with me in writing a commentary from a, um, from a position, not Calvinist or Arminian, but a position more historic with who we are, Baptists, I said to write a commentary and I asked him and I made that statement. I said, you know, do you believe that systems can affect proper exegeting of the word? He said, yes, I do. And I said, well, I've got, I, and I began to pull out John Calvin, R.C. Sproul and some of the commentaries and I began to test that and I began to realize that there's an element of truth to that. 
So I believe that as Southern Baptists, and in our denomination, that we have to be careful anytime we look to the Scripture as to where sometimes how a theological system, whether it be Calvinism or Arminianism, can affect how we exegete or how we read the Scripture. I think that's good advice. I think that's good at counsel. And so that's where we are today. Now we're picking up today with Paul here talking to the church at Ephesus, to these followers of Ephesus. And as best I can, I want to exegete the Scripture without pressing too much theology in it, any particular systematic theology. I want us to see what Paul was saying here. But I also have to warn you here, I'm not a Calvinist, I'm not an Arminian, I'm a non-Calvinist, I guess you would say, or maybe it would be better to say I'm just a Baptist. I don't hold to either theological system in its entirety because I can't agree with either one of them in their entirety. I do believe in the free will of man, and I believe that you'll see that in what Paul is saying here today. So here we have Paul in Ephesians. Now he's writing from prison. He not only wrote this letter, he wrote Ephesians, he wrote Philippians, he wrote Colossians, he wrote a letter to Philemon, a friend of his. He writes four letters from prison. We call them the prison epistles. They're the letters of Paul while he's in prison. Now, in the case of the, of the believers there in Ephesus, he wants them to understand, because see, there were Jews that were saying to Paul, you need to proselyte these people to Judaism. You need to convert them to Jews and then convert them to Christianity. Paul said, no, that's not how it works. Let me put it this way. And for people who are listening on the website, we have a corral or we have a pen that, we, that I've built in the church to help us understand what it means to be in Christ. What Paul was dealing with were Jews that were saying, listen, before you can go into Christ, go into this corral, first of all, you've got to be proselyted to Judaism. You've got to become a Jew. This is the reason some would say you had to be circumcised because that's what a Jew did. A man, a male who wanted to convert to Judaism, he'd have to be circumcised. So Paul was saying to the, there were some Jews who said you got to be a Jew, then you become a Christian. You become a Jew, then you're introduced to Christ. And so Paul is having to deal with the Jewish converts who were confused, and then Paul's also dealing with the Gentiles. And what was happening in the early New Testament church, in some ways the church was polarizing around Jew and Gentile. And so what Paul was saying, he was saying, listen, when you and I come to Christ, when we encounter Christ and we, give, and we commit our lives to Christ, and at that point we are now in Christ, Jew and Gentile, black, white, rich, poor, nationalities, we are all one in Christ, we're all together. And this is what Paul was saying here. Now when Paul gets to verse 13, what Paul is saying, you also were included in Christ. And he gives us here the process by which these people were coming to Christ. Now in chapter 1, Paul's been talking about the blessings of being in Christ. In, in, in 14 verses, he uses in Christ, in Him, in love, 15 times. He uses them over 30 times in the book of Ephesians. Paul has already told us that this was planned by God before the creation of anything. It was purchased by His Son, 
And now Paul's going to tell us it's pursued by the Spirit. In other words, in the first chapter, Paul gives us Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and how all of them are involved in this thing of you and I coming to Christ. And the question then comes again, Paul says, how do we get from here, outside of that corral, outside of that pen, outside of that prarizo, that Greek word predestined, marked out boundaries, how do I get from here to being in Christ in there? And that's what Paul's dealing with today. Now in verse 12, Paul's already spoke to the Jews. In verse 13, now he turns his attention to the Gentile, and he says to the Gentile, just like the do, you just like the Jew, you are the object of God's grace, unmerited, undeserved love. Now it's already been made clear that not all Jews are saved. Not all Gentiles are saved. Paul said it is for those who have heard. And believed. Look at verse 13 again. And you also. Now, now, why does he say you also? Because now he's saying in verse 12, he's been talking about himself and the Jews. Now he's saying to the Gentile, and you also were included in Christ. An historic Southern Baptist position would be this Here then is the free will of man over against God's sovereignty. God in His sovereignty marked out beforehand the boundaries of in Christ. It's not anything new. We saw that last week in the Old Testament. He did it over and over again. He did it at the Passover where that little Jewish home was like a refuge from His wrath. He did it with the ark, Noah's ark. He did it with Rahab's house. He did it with a bronze serpent up on a stick. He did it all the way through the Old Testament. He gives us shadows so that we would recognize what He would do in the New Testament through Christ His church. One mega pastor made this statement. I was listening to him this week. He made this statement, he said, wow. He said, this was a strange new concept. This was new language as Paul began to use this idea of being in Christ and in Him. And I thought, man, how wrong you are. It is all the way through the Scripture. Now listen to this statement again. Here then is the free will of man over against the, uh, over, as over against God's sovereignty. God in His sovereignty marked out beforehand the boundaries of being in Christ, and elected that all who are in Christ shall be saved. Men in their free will choose to be in Christ by faith or to be outside of Christ in refusal to believe in Him as their Savior. Now what Paul does in verse 13 is he explains. He says to these people, he says, listen, you also were included in Christ when? And he's telling you and I how to be in Christ. He says, first of all, we must first hear. Now, this is critical for you and I to understand because right now in our denomination, there is a great theological polarizing around the issue of Calvinism. I'm not picking on Calvinists. I'm just simply telling you what's going on in our denomination. We are dividing over this issue. Now, a Calvinist says this, and hear me again, regeneration precedes faith. 
regeneration precedes faith. In other words, God pre God predestined, elects, chosen. God takes those, the elect, He regenerates their heart so that they respond in faith to grace. So God is the author and therefore the mover of who is saved and who is not saved. God regenerates one man to respond in faith to his grace and he passes over or ignores another man. In other words, he does not do that in the heart of the non-elect so that they respond favorably. Now we're going to deal with that more in chapter 2. But it's important for you and I to understand that. Now what Paul is saying here, Paul is saying for these that had received Christ and who were in Christ, Paul said, first of all, you heard. And he uses the Greek word there, akuo. It means to hear or to attend to or to consider or to understand or to perceive. When I was living in Zimbabwe, sometimes I would take a Shona Bible and I would would say, baebere renoti or mwari akati. I would say the Bible says, Jesus said. But often I would look at him and I would see a look like some of you and I would say, Tedadai. And throughout the sermon, Tedadai. And every once in a while, somebody who might be visiting an English person would say, What is this Tedadai? Every teacher will know what I'm getting ready to say. Tedadai means. Listen. You see, listening is critical to salvation. And I believe in some ways that it could be the healing balm between Calvinism and Arminianism. And it could even be a balm here in our own convention. Hearing, Paul said, is the first step to salvation. Listen to this quote. Man's free will is exercised here in such a way that Christ repeatedly would warn those who were listening to him, he that hath ears to hear. Well, let me ask you this. Who has ears to hear? Every one of us. Jesus would constantly say, listen, like a teacher, hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. Even in Revelation, Jesus would say, He that hath ears to hear what the Spirit says, let him hear. You see, the Jew understood this. This is not anything new. The Hebrew word there, Shema. The the Shema, Deuteronomy 4, 5 and 6, where they would say, Shema Israel, Adonai. What they were saying is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. That word Shema is all the way through the Scripture. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 1, it says, Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Like my teaching falls like the rain, and my words descend like the Jew. The Jew was always told to listen. He was always told to hear. He was always hearing this, Listen, pay attention. Tedadai, Shema Israel. Joshua 3 9, come here and listen to the words of the Lord our God. Micah, uh, uh, Micaiah to Jehoshaphat, hear the word of the Lord. Isaiah to Hezekiah, 
Hear the word of the Lord. God to Job, listen now and I will speak. Everyone, Shema Israel. 1 Kings 17, 14. When judgment comes to Israel, it was said they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their fathers who did not trust the Lord. Notice the writing there. They would not listen and they could not trust. We cannot trust what we do not listen to. Psalm 95, 7 and 8. Today if you hear his voice, the word here, Shema. Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. My friend, that speaks of free will. Proverbs 1, 5. A wise man will hear. Isaiah 66, 4. When I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one answered. No one listened. Jeremiah 5, 21, ears do not listen. They have ears, but they do not listen. And so it makes sense that Jesus would constantly say, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Why? Because hearing is the beginning of salvation. Take your Bibles and take a left and go over to Jeremiah 13. Pass Isaiah, go over there to Isaiah, take a right. Jeremiah 13, I want you to see this. I believe today there could be great theological healing in the land today if we could ever capture and understand this. Our Calvinist friends would say that regeneration precedes faith. Well, does regeneration precede hearing? Please listen to me. Please listen. I've spent a lot of... Please don't talk among yourselves. Please listen to me. Some of you know better. Please listen. Calvinist says regeneration precedes faith. My question would be, does regeneration precede hearing? In Jeremiah 13, verse 10, look at what Jeremiah said. He said, these wicked people who refuse to do what? Who refuse to hear, refuse to listen. Shema. Who refuse to listen to my words. Who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and to worship them will be like this belt, completely useless. For as a belt is bound around a man's waist, so I bound the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and my praise and my honor, but they have not listened. So in Jeremiah 13, 10, he's saying they don't listen. Now I want you to take a, I want you to take a right and go over to Ezekiel, just to the next book over. Well, past Lamentations. Go to Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Some of you in this room, your, and your spiritual antennas ought to be going 90 to nothing right now. Some of you have the theological wisdom and the ability to hear the heart of this pastor and to listen closely to what I'm saying to you right now. In Ezekiel 2, verse, beginning at verse 4, look at it. In Ezekiel 2, beginning at verse 4, watch this. 
The people to whom I'm sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. God's telling Ezekiel, he's saying, Ezekiel, they're probably not going to listen. It doesn't matter whether they listen or not. You be faithful in verse 6. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be, uh, uh, do not be afraid through, though the briars and the thorns are around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or they fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like the rebellious house and open your mouth. You open your mouth and eat what I give you to eat. In Jeremiah, I mean in Ezekiel 3, 7, he goes on to make this statement. Listen to this. But the house of Israel is not willing. Do you see it? There's free will. Is not willing to listen. Do you see it? Say amen. But the house of Israel is not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to who? They're not willing to listen to me. God makes it very clear for the house of Israel is hardened and obstinate. Proverbs 29, 1 says, He that hardens his heart and stiffens his neck shall suddenly be cut off in that without remedy. Elisha would say to Naaman, you remember that situation to where Naaman, this great military leader, had leprosy. And he would begin to cry out. And, and finally a little servant girl, a little Jewish girl that lived in his household waited on him and went to him one day, this mighty military commander. And she said, there's a man that can help you. I think it was Elisha. And so Elisha said, you tell Naaman to go out to the Jordan River and dip seven times in the Jordan. You know what Naaman said? That's about the silliest, most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. There are plenty of good rivers right here a lot closer to me. Why do I have to go to the River Jordan? And you know what Elisha said? Shema, Naaman. Shema, hear Naaman and obey. You see, it's critical. In 2 Kings 17, 14, but they would not listen and they were stiff-necked as their fathers who do not trust in the Lord. May we understand that faith is a response of hearing. And that's our responsibility, your responsibility to listen. Listen to this. This is one of the saddest things I've ever heard. Carl Sagan, the great outspoken atheist and the author of Cosmos, Cosmos, wrote this, who wrote the book Cosmos. After his death, his wife in an interview said, listen to this, the wife of the great Carl Sagan, the author of Cosmos, this outspoken atheist. The wife in an interview said this, no deathbed conversion, no appeals to God, no hope after life, no pretending that we were not saying goodbye forever. Now listen to this. The interviewer then asked her, did he not, did not Carl Sagan want to believe? Listen to what she said. She responded with fierceness. Carl Sagan never wanted to believe. He wanted to know without faith. Wow. 
Isaiah 53, 3 says, Give ear, come to me, hear me, that your soul... Listen to this, listen to this. Isaiah 53, 3, give ear. God says to Israel, give ear and come to me. Hear me, that your soul... He's not talking about your physical body, that your soul may live. First hear, Shema. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Second, come, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Third, that your soul may live. Do you hear it? Hear, listen, Shema Israel. And come, that your soul may live. My folks, let me say this. Maybe the free will is housed in the hearing. Maybe that's the balm that brings theological healing in the church today. Jeremiah 5:21 said this, "Hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have ears but do not see, who have eyes but do not see, and who have ears but do not hear." Jeremiah 6:10, "To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will not listen to me? Their ears are closed." There's some listening on this website that is so steeped in Calvinism, and you may be here today. You are so steeped in your theological convictions and your own, your own ideas that you will refuse even to listen to this pastor as he's trying to share with you something that can bring healing to the church. Some of us, our problem is we worship man more than we worship God. We like systems because they're comfortable and we don't have to ever question them or the people that propagate them. Paul called them in 2 Corinthians super apostles. Do you value, do you value the people you study more than you value the Word of God? Listen to what Jeremiah 6.10 says. To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will not listen to me? Their ears are closed. Listen. So they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it, but I am full of the wrath of the Lord and I can't hold it in. Jeremiah said it's like a fire in my bones. In fact, look at, go back from Ezekiel, go back to Jeremiah 13, verses 10 and 11 again. See it again. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, go after other gods to serve them and worship them. What Jeremiah is saying, they will not listen. Paul was saying to the church at Ephesus, you also were included in Christ when you heard. Ekklesia, ekkaleo, to call out. Some people would say, yeah, but this is Israel. These are the covenant people. This is God disciplining the covenant people. My friend, that sounds like the Pharisees when they looked at Jesus and said, we're the covenant people. And Jesus said, no, you're not. Your father's the devil. Some people say, well, I'm the eklegomai. I'm the chosen. I'm the covenant people. I'm in the covenant family. My friend Jesus used the same word that Paul used for chosen when he talked about Judas in John 6. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of the Father. So Paul said this, you also were included when you heard. Paul said, heard what? Watch what he says here in verse 13. He says, when you heard the word of truth, the Logos... The aletheia, the truth. He uses a definite article there. He doesn't say a truth, he says the truth. These Gentiles had been included in Christ because they had finally heard the word of truth. 
And they had responded. He said, you also were included in Christ when you heard. I love that song that goes, the call goes ringing over the restless waves. Send the light, send the light. You and I are responsible to give out the call. But I wrote this down. The truth is I cannot believe in something that I refuse to listen to. Paul said in Romans 10 verse 17, he said, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And right now the enemy will do everything he can to keep you from hearing the truth. Did you hear that? The enemy will do everything he can to keep you from hearing the truth. He will use everything possible. And, And my friend, the enemy is working overtime today. Today, if you look at people today, they're listening to their radio. They're watching TV in their vehicles. They're they're, they're listening to satellite. They're on the computer. They're on the iPhone. They're on Bluetooth. They've got DVDs and movies. They've got them everywhere. Why? Because he's the prince of the air. He says, I don't want my people to hear. I don't want people to hear the truth. And we can't hear. And your enemy will do everything he can to do everything possible. He will drown out. He will distract. He'll detour. He'll discourage. He does one thing. He does not want people to hear the word of truth. And Paul said, you also were included in Christ when you heard. You didn't just hear anything. You heard the truth. And then Paul said, they believed. You see, it's not enough to know the truth. You've got to believe in it. He uses the Greek word pistuo. To think true. I was asked by a friend of mine, I've, I've had a couple of invitations to Oxford University in the past, and financially I couldn't afford it. I had a friend of mine, a, a good friend, who's uh, studied there quite a bit, and he said, if somebody were to pay your way, what would you do? He said, uh, he said if I could get you nine months at Oxford and you could study, what would you study? I said, I would study repentance. Metanoia, this word Repentance. I said, I would study that and how that relates to our salvation because I believe there's a great deal of confusion. You see, there are a lot of things people are hearing today, but they're not hearing the truth. And so Paul said, you also were included in Christ when you heard, when you shema, when you listened. And the Jew understood that because it was constantly drilled into their head. You heard, number two, you heard the truth, the truth. Pilate said, tell me what truth is. Jesus said, you're looking at it. I am truth. And then finally, Paul goes on to say, we've got to believe it. You and I not only have to hear it, we've got to believe it. And I want you to understand something. God will never ask you to do something that he does not equip you to do. He tells the whole world, whosoever will come unto me. He reaches his arms out to the whole world. He says, I love the world. He loves every person in this room. He wants every one of you to be in Christ. But you and I have to hear, akuo, we have to hear the truth. And we've got to believe it in our hearts. And you may say, well, I don't know if I'm the elect. I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know. Listen, you'll never know that. You just give your life to Christ. You just give your life to Christ. God says to the world, I love you. God reaches out to a lost world. Whosoever will, he says, let him come. Let him come. 
And he'll never ask you to do something that he doesn't equip you to do. He'll give you every means possible to come. There's a lot of disagreement. Uh, I could bring up theological terms like prevenient grace. It means grace that precedes salvation. A divine grace, one writer said, a divine grace that precedes human decision. It exists prior to and with reference to anything human may have done. Augustine and Calvinists believe that prevenient, prevenient grace cannot be resisted and is for the elect. And in the tulip, that word there, irresistible grace, means this, that God has His chosen, God has the elect, and they cannot resist that grace. We don't believe that. We believe that man does have the capacity and the ability to exercise his free will and to say, though that provenient grace has been given to all men, it's available for all. We have the ability and the capacity within us to say, no God, no God. Paul said, but not you. He said, you heard, you believed. Now watch this, and we'll close with this. You were sealed. I love that. He goes on to say in verse 13, he said, and having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Paul said, listen, you heard, you believed the truth, and because of that, you came to Christ and you were sealed and secured in Christ. This is a great thing because for many of you in this room, you struggle with security. Am I saved? Am I sure? Do I know for certain? John said, these things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. This wording here in the Greek was the idea of a wax seal or a signet ring. It meant ownership. What Paul would say when Paul said, you're not your own, you've been bought with a price, and that price is the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul uses the same word in the Greek as the same word that is used back in the Old Testament. You remember when, when, when Noah built that ark and all those animals and Noah and his family began to make their way to the entrance to the door of that ark. And as they came into that ark, the Bible says there came that point. Let me ask you this. Who closed the door? God did. And that word in the Hebrew to closed mean, means to seal. Once all those people were in that ark, once they were safely in that ark, you know what God did? God shut the door and closed it tight. This is what Jesus meant in Luke 13, verse, I mean, Luke 20, um, Luke 13, verse 22, when the man came to him and said, Lord, will only a few be saved? And he looked at that man and said, You agonisamai, ice erikamai, you agonize to enter because there's going to come a day when God shuts the door. But I love what Paul's saying here. Paul says, you and I have been, we've been, we are in Christ, we are secure. He uses the word there, secure, means erabone um, in the Hebrew, erabone in the Greek. It's very similar in the Greek and the Hebrew. The idea is that God put a pledge. You know what the pledge is? His Holy Spirit that He put in you. He put it in me. Sheila and I years ago were looking at a car. We were married, just barely married, hadn't been married long, looking at a new vehicle, and we were going to buy a Monte Carlo. You remember that? We were poor as dirt. How much money did we leave on that Monte Carlo? $80. 
We told him to hold that car. We were coming back. I called my dad, and he said, you did what? You go back and get that $80, son. You don't need a Monte Carlo. But listen, God doesn't take his pledge back. This is what Paul's saying here. He's saying you and I were sealed with, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I know I need to close. If you want to know that I'm married, what do you look at? If you want to know that I'm married, what do you look for? Look for a ring. If you want to know whether you're a part of the bride of Christ, whether you're married to Christ, you know what you look for? You look for the Holy Spirit. And you may say, well, how do I know the Holy Spirit? How do I know the Holy Spirit is in me? You look for fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, gentleness, self-control. You look for those things. Let me ask you this, are you in Christ? And remember, this is also a statement against the Arminian position. We believe in eternal security. We believe, that as Southern Baptists, we believe that we are in Christ. Now, we believe we come to Christ with our own free will. We believe that. But we also believe this, as we come to Christ and we are in Christ, we are sealed in Christ. We are secure here. I may be faithless, but the Bible says he will always remain faithful that means this, that God will never back away from his covenant with me. I may be unfaithful, but God will always be faithful. This past week, Jeffrey, who's doing an internship, he's working on his master's and looking to be a hospital chaplain. He called me last Tuesday and he said, Dad, it was really rough today. He said, uh, he said right at the end of the day, he said, right at the end of the day, he said, just as he was getting ready to leave Baptist, he said, all of a sudden, it was just like everything just broke loose. He said, in the ER, he said, they brought two teenage children in there who had been killed in a car accident. He said, Dad, there were people everywhere. He said, Dad, they were just broken and weeping and crying. It was so sad. He said, I watched chaplains, I watched medical personnel trying desperately to minister and not really knowing what to say. He said, Dad, in that moment, he said, what do you say? I said, son, at first you don't say nothing. You just put a hand on their shoulder. You just let them know that you're there. But when finally, and I've had it happen many times, when they look at you and they begin to weep and say, what do I do? I've had people do that, leave a hospital without their loved one, look at me and say, what do I, what do, I do? How, how, for every parent in this room, how, how do I go on living? What do I do? You know what I told him? I said, Jeffrey, this is what you say. The only thing you have is faith. That's it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, dear Lord, uh, I just pray right now that the power of your Holy Spirit would work in the hearts of men and women in this room. And 
Dear Lord, I pray that they have heard. I do believe that, dear Lord, that hearing definitely precedes faith because the Bible says, Romans 10, 17 says, Paul said, faith cometh by hearing. And so we may not agree with Calvinists and Arminian on some issues, eternal security. We may not agree on this thing of regeneration preceding faith, but perhaps we can agree that hearing precedes it all. And hearing is an act of the will. Hearing is our responsibility to hear. So Lord, I pray that men and women and boys and girls in this room have listened, have heard your word, have heard as your Holy Spirit has spoken to their hearts. I pray, dear Lord, that they might not only hear, but they would understand that they can hear the truth that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for their sin on the cross of Calvary. That by His shed blood, there is forgiveness. There is regeneration. There is new life. And I pray, dear Lord, that as Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Whosoever will, let him come. I pray, dear Lord, whosoever will, that, dear Lord, there, if any be in this room today that are without Christ, they've been living a lie. They know deep down in the depth of their heart they're not saved. But you've spoken to them today. You've spoken very clearly. I pray today that they may come, that they may understand what it means to be safe, to be secure in Christ. God, I ask you, dear Lord, to speak to us. And may we listen, may we hear. Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel. Hear, Southside. God, do what only you can do. In the name of Jesus, we pray.